0: Well, good morning. You know, I think um, as we're in this thinking young series, kids are a great example of what it means to think young because they live in a world of wonder. They look at so many things with such curiosity and they will ask questions, right? Because they know the hope for an answer is probably in that parent or authority figure, teacher, whatever it might be, and and so their hope is that as asked question that you'll have some kind of answer for them, and yet when they're really young, it's kind of like they don't have any verbal filter at all, right? You know, because you be walking along with them, and also, and go, Mom, what about, you know, and you'd shh, shh. So be pointing out something of someone else, and you want them to be quiet. Well, they, there's, there's this, you have heard the show, maybe kids say the darndest things kind of idea, and sometimes they ask the darndest questions. Um... When dad was telling about when he was putting his child to bed, he asked him, Dad, you know, these are the kind of questions you get, parents, right, as you're putting kids to bed. I remember this with my kids. Dad, what if the bad guys think they're the good guys? And what if the guys I think are really good are really bad? It's a great question. How do you answer that right away? One little girl, after watching her mom comb her hair, said, "Mom, what's the name of the space between the bits that stick out on a comb?" Who would ever ask Think of that. <laughs> Does anybody know what that's called? Gaps, holes. I looked it up. I mean, it's that's what it is. One little uh, boy looking up at his dad with his mom standing next to him said, "Dad." What did it feel like on your last day of being a child? <laughs> and the mother didn't say anything. <laughs> and grandparents, you're not out on this either, right? After a grandmother explained that she's getting married so that she could have someone to talk to and didn't want to be lonely, the little child looked up at her and said, why don't you just get a parrot? <laughs> I love how kids think. I love how they just will ask questions. And one of the reasons I said they do is because they don't know answers. One of the problems as we get older is we think we know answers. And if you really are humble and will move into maturity, you begin to see how little you do know, right? And so hopefully, as you're growing older, you continue that childhood sense of wonder and curiosity. And that ability, when you come up against things, to be able to ask questions and obviously to ask questions is really a state of humility but it also allows for you to be in a place where you can learn and i think that's the place that we're to be i don't know if you've lived with someone who knows all the answers or you're part of a group that thinks they know all the answers or you're part of even a church cuz this church we don't know all the answers we also recognize there's mystery but well, we do know that God does, and we know that His Word will give us answers, but not always does God give answers. Even Jesus Himself, when He was walking in this earth, <clears throat> at one point, His disciples said to Him as they were talking about the last days, They said, tell us when that day is when the kingdom of God is going to come. And Jesus Himself responded with humility and said, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know the Son, but only the Father. There's a couple of occasions like that where, where Jesus would, would just say, you know, that is a mystery at this point that God has chosen not to reveal to me. And as you go through life, you're going to come across situations in your life. Some of you have already done this and you've been growing, but you may be in one of those places right now. You may be in one of those places where you're in a barren time. You're It, it feels unproductive. It feels like trials have come, and you don't quite understand Why? And you have an opportunity in your barrenness to put your hope in a God, even though you may not get the answer you want or you may be told to wait or whatever it might be, but you have an opportunity to ask God because he's the one who knows. And in that process, you have an opportunity for your barrenness to make you bitter or for it to make you better. You really have a choice to make as you put your hope in God and you begin to realize, you know, I'm... Not sure of all that's going on, God. I don't understand all the reasons why I'm in this place. You have an opportunity to allow this place where you are desperate to either drive you to God or drive you away from God. You have an opportunity in this place where you feel fruitlessness. To be able to fill yourself up with self-pity and with a sense of anger or with a sense of just you're going to go through life. Being irritated, or you have an opportunity for God to fill you up with a love and a compassion that learns from it, that reaches out to others who are in similar situations. We all have choices. We have a choice to think young. And that's what my hope is as we go through this message today. As we look at 1 Samuel, you'll find a lady, her name is Hannah. You could look at her as hopeless Hannah, but yet she had great hope in God. And if to get to 1 Samuel, you have to realize <clears throat> that uh, you go through this book of Genesis, and then the people are led out of Egypt, and they come to the Promised Land. They go through a period where judges, and, and now things have gotten really rotten. At the very end, it says people would did whatever was right in their own eyes. They were evil, and then you come to 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel starts out with the story of a woman named Hannah. And what I'd like for us to do is to think young and to ask questions, merely to go through this and ask questions about, about not being afraid to hope in God and to come to him with our questions. And so we're going to kind of go through this passage of scripture in that way. So first Samuel chapter 1 verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathayim. I'm going to try and use the, the Hebrew pronunciation because these are so hard. Ramathayim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth and Ephraimite. Now there's a lot there, right? What in the world? I, just a little geographical. I think we could put the map up there and I'll show you. <clears throat> if you see where you see Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin, Manasseh and Ephraim are the sons of Joseph. He got a double portion when it came to the twelve sons that were given things. Levi was given no land and so Joseph was given two pieces of property. Levi didn't get any because as a priestly group, they weren't given land. Their only allotment was God himself. And so you see Benjamin, both both Joseph and Benjamin, representing those two sons, get kind of the heart of the land. But Ephraim is what we're looking at, and it was great territory. Shiloh was actually where the temple was at that time, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem at that time still was um, yet to be conquered by David. And if you go over to Ramath, you, you, it's got a weird name there, but it's Ramathiam. Zophim, which was where Joseph of Arimathea was. That's the hill country. So they're in that region. And, and the idea of, of Zoph, he was one of the first ones to come. And so as he came over, and it was the land of Ephraim, the father of Zoph of that tribe took that district. So they were Zophites. That's all you need to know about that. We're not going to go into anything more history lesson done, okay? There was a certain man from... Ramathayim Asaphite. Verse 2. He had two wives. Not in common in that day. One was called Hannah. In the Hebrew, Hannah. And the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children. And Hannah had none. That's kind of alliteration there. In the Hebrew, it, it kind of comes out in this way. It, it literally says, Peninnah had children. And Hannah had had no children. And it's an emphasis, to put the emphasis on her barrenness. And barrenness was a horrible thing in that day for a woman because all her sense of value and worth came from producing children so that that would, in agricultural culture, you know what even the farmers, they, they wanted often sons and, 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 and daughters and, and they would care for the land. And so you have this place here. And I remember when I went to... Um, I was in uh, Kenya and then down into Ethiopia and some other parts in in Africa, Tanzania as well. And it was, I believe, in Tanzania where we went and saw a Maasai tribe. And what was interesting about the Maasai tribe, there was... um It it reminded me much of maybe what it was like in those days of a more tribal culture. There would be homes, these little huts, and your huts would be next to each other. And we met a man, and he had about five wives, and, and he shared with us this one wife here, and she had her own little hut, and another one had a hut, and they they each had their own little hut. And so you get this picture right now of Penina and her hut, and then over here is Hannah, Hannah with her hut, and Penina's was very fruitful. Her little hut was full of laughter and noises that little kids make, you know, like little boy or, 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 or they' me yelling, "Mom, where's the cereal?" It was a full house. She had children. The house was a mess, full of commotion, yet full of life. Not so, Hannah. Her house was right next door. Nothing, none. No children. No noise. Quiet. Clean. Some of your moms are going, yes! (laughs) There's no milk on the floor. No extra clothes to wash. No extra beds to make. No fighting kids to referee. You'd think she'd be happy. Nah. Nah. She was barren, desperate, unproductive, felt fruitless, few weeks ago, I went with our family, and we get together with three families, and it started out a number of years ago, ten plus years ago, where we'd go up, and it would just be three couples, and we'd go to their cabin, and it was wonderful, and, and we had this great times of richness and sharing and prayer, and then we decided, let's invite our kids, and at that time, we each had a couple daughters, so we had actually six daughters come up, and that was really fun and fruitful conversation. The next year, they invited friends, and the next year, they invited some fiancés, and the next year, they invited husbands, and the next year, this last year we had three daughters with their husbands and six little boys running around. (laughs) Not fruitful conversation. No quiet. Lots of commotion. A full house. But fun. Not so Hannah. But she wasn't afraid to hope. I don't think she was afraid to ask questions. Hannah experienced her lack every day, her fruitlessness. Stared her in the face every day. She was unproductive in a world that measured her worth by producing children. She was deprived of the blessing of family and her situation felt hopeless, but she was not afraid to hope and bring her prayers and questions to God. Have you ever been there? We did this once before, we'll do it again. If you've got a phone, take it out. You need a smartphone, by the way, not a dumb phone. Um, take it out if you would, and we're going to put up here this thing called the Mentimeter. And what I want you to do is to think for a second. Just maybe one word or a couple words, and just to put it in there, I want you to kind of interact right now and just think about your own situation. Are you in a place where, where you feel hopelessness, and, and what might it be around? It could be around things such as parenting, a job, finances, relationships, peace, rest, health, you name it, whatever it is. And I'd love for you to just take that, put that number in, and then it'll come up and you can put a word in, and later we're going to show kind of what that is. It's anonymous, so don't worry, we're not going to put your name next to it if it's, okay? But I want you, as you're kind of doing this, I want you to think, have you had this feeling of hopelessness? Have you lived in the land of barrenness? And maybe you are there right now. Maybe you've gone to bed alone, with your mind racing, with panic attack thoughts of the future, or of your fear, or of your lack, or, or maybe you have experienced, and you're experiencing right now, a barrenness in your marriage when you thought long ago it wouldn't be like this. Right? It could be that you're in a place where, and we have often will counsel with with parents who are not able to have children, and you've been trying, and and infertility is such a just painful word. You might be single and be saying, whether you're divorced or you're in a place where you're not dating anyone or you're widowed and you come in and you just look around and you just feel lonely. It could be that you have been in a job that was fruitless and unproductive and you got so excited and you moved to another job and that job was fruitful was fruitless and kind of unproductive and you find yourself now on a third time and you're just going, is there ever... I mean, I look at others... And what is your desperation going to do? What does your barrenness do? Is it creating bitterness is it making you a better person? Is God using it? And the question that often I just want to ask first is, where are you at this morning? And you may be in a good place. But I want you to think for a second. Where's the person, I, I would guess that every person in this room knows of someone near them who is going through some time of barrenness. And I want you to be thinking about that because we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 3 through 8, these words. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Where Hophni and Phinehas, and they weren't good guys, things had really fallen in this time. They were evil sons. Two sons of Eli, priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, He would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. So he gave them stuff to eat. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her, her, her rival, guess that? Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not cry. You get this picture of Elkanah. He's trying to help the situation, but in trying to help the situation and, and feeling for Hannah, who is not able to bear children, he wants to just let her know he loves her and so he gives her really choice pieces of the meat. And you got to know that that's got to be hard on Panina. I mean, she's provided children. She says, and she would love his affection and, and often what, you know, you'll see this with kids. If they can't get your affection, they'll do the second cousin of that, which is attention. So if your kid's crying for attention, it's because you're, it could be they're not getting something inward. And that's what's going on with her. So what does she do? She can't really go and be mad at him for not loving her. So what does she do? She does what comes natural to a lot of people. And you know how that is. If you're like sisters, you can see these, these wives who live together were like sisters. Sister wives, you've heard that. And she knew how to poke her. She knew how to kind of go, I know what I can do and say. And I love, as we read through this, Hannah's response is not to poke back. It's not to repay evil with evil. Someone was just telling me this morning that they had been meeting with some people, and this one person was really, um, and she was in a new place where she was getting to know some of the people in this in this place that she lives. And one person was really not very nice to her, and it was mean to her. And she was just about to, she said, say something negative and mean back. You know, because she was poked. When the Lord, she said, kind of slapped her in the face. said, don't do that. And she didn't. She said something kind and good back. And out of that developed this relationship. Well, I don't know. That didn't happen in this situation. And it's really interesting when you think about it. When you come to a place, and if you've been in this place and you go, this is where I'm feeling this barrenness, or I know of this person that I love so deeply, it's so hard sometimes to watch someone you love in a place of desperation. And what's so interesting in those places is you don't even need to be provoked directly by something or someone you can walk into a room if you're single and you can come into a church and you look around and go, there's couples with everybody. Everybody's got someone. You can be a parent and walk into the mall of America and go, look at all the, what do you see? You see all the families. Very, no one's even poking you. You can be in a place where you've been in a job and in a situation and you just look around and you go, man, it just seems that everybody I talk to you know, they're, they're in a fulfilling work or, or, or you're maybe looking for a job and it just seems like everybody gets their job or, or they are getting their promotions or there's headhunters after them. You can be in your marriage today and say, I look around and I look at some of these people and boy, they're just in love. So I ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to kind of get out of looking at yourself for a second and I want you to think about how sensitive are you to the pain of others around you? Part of becoming better, part of not moving into self-pity in this process is beginning to turn out and, and to look at others. Some of the most desperate, painful, unproductive, fruitless people that I have known have gone through difficult times and they have not made it, it wasn't less than, it wasn't, they didn't in any way deny what they were going through, but in the midst of it, they chose to say, God, how do I still see others in their own pain? Do you see those around you dealing with barrenness in their life? When's the last time you've actually, maybe at work or someplace, and just had a deep conversation that allowed another person to get really authentic with you. And then here's the second question. Is how do you help? Because, you know, one of the things, Elkanah saw it. He saw it in, in Hannah. He, he realized it, and I'm sure he heard about it, and I'm sure he was connected enough to it. But then you got to ask yourself, what do you do with someone when someone's in this place of barrenness and they're in this place of pain? How do you respond to that? And, and Elkanah does what I would call the classic loving, helpless husband without a clue response. His first response in 1 Samuel 1, eight is, Hannah, why are you weeping? And then, <laughs> the second one, I love it, why don't you eat? <laughs> While you're downhearted, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Uh, Hannah, why are you, are you weeping? You ever, you know, and then the, the, the response is, I'll get you something to eat. That's always the answer, right? Let's, you know, There's some ice cream and we'll get some of that caramel fudge topping and just let's eat. She's not eating. And then you've got to feel a little bit for Elkanah because he's just searching in his mind, what do I do, how do I handle this? What do you do when a person's desperate, when a person is, is in this place of barrenness? And then he says, come on, honey, don't you know I love you more than 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 kids? some pains cut so deep that all the reassurance in the world that we might offer does not relieve the soul's ache we can try and give answers in times of deep sorrow when a person is facing personal inadequacy and a sense of failure you don't want to be fixed you don't want to be told what to do often you sure don't want your feelings denied or explained away. You're just looking for someone to listen, to just be there, to just be present. But that's really hard to do, isn't it? Cause you just, you kind of want to make things better. So what do you do? How do you help? Usually just shut up. <laughs> don't offer a lot of opinions. Don't tell them that you know how it feels. It's probably best just to sit next to them and be quiet. It may be something helpful just to say, that must really hurt. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about sympathy of getting into self-pity and things. I'm just saying someone who, you just get in their shoes and goes, boy, I'm with you. And then where do you go when your soul aches? Where do you turn when it all seems so helpless? And I love what Hannah does. She doesn't play Peninnah's game. She doesn't roll her eyes at her or at Elkanah. There's just a sense, 1 Samuel 9-11, 1-9-11 says, Once they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, so they're there to give the sacrifice, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She finished eating, she went to the Lord's house, she went before God with her, with her pain and her despair, and she put her hope in Him and said, God, I come to you again. Hannah not only turned to God, but she also said this, and and you may relate to this, and she she made a vow. She said, Lord, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Have you ever prayed anything like that? Right? I'm just so desperate, God. God, if, if you give me this, I'll give you that. And some of you are afraid of that and God hasn't done that. But it's all part of the process. It's a good thing. It's good to be real. It's good to be really real in church of all places. Because God knows you and he loves you and he sees you and he sees our vows and all the things we say. And and sometimes like kids, you, you know, like little kids, if you can come and continue to picture yourself. That's why Jesus came as the son. He came and grew up as the son. He wanted us to see ourselves as sons and daughters with a good and loving father who brought our questions before him. And sometimes didn't get answers. But knew that he did, and he knows that he knows. And when she cries out, oh, "You remember me," she's just saying it's a covenantal language. Don't don't break your promise of being engaged in my life. And so, First Samuel chapter one, verse twelve through sixteen says as she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Can you get the picture? And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her. Now, I think it's interesting. He thought she was drunk because in that day, it has to tell you something about that day. There weren't a lot of people who were coming to God in desperation with their, with their lips moving and, and, and the words in their, their mind. And, and the only thing that would look like is someone who's drunk in that day. That's how 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 fallen Israel had come, how far away they were from God. There was no desperation for God except for Hannah. Which makes me ask the question as we go through here again. How desperate are you for God? In your own barrenness, in this place. I often say God goes where he's wanted. How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine, says Eli. What I really find interesting for Hannah is that her desire for God and her hope and coming to him with her prayers and her questions, her lack, her inability, it drove her to God, not away from God. She was desperate for God to do what she could never do. She was desperate for God to do what only he could do. In her heart and her mind, she knew that God, as it said, closed her womb, and God also could open it. I just want to say that to you, whatever your situation is, is there's a chance that God, for some reason, for a period of time, has closed it, or maybe it will be something that he doesn't give. I don't know the answer to that, but there, that it is really true that God is the one. If he closes something, he can open it. And we're going to talk a little bit more in just a bit, bit about that. And so, in 1 verse Samuel, verses 15 through 16... She answers him, "Not so, my lord." She's replying to Eli, who is like the high priest at that time. Hannah replied, "I am a woman who is deeply troubled, and I have not been drinking wine or beer." It's, in the original, it says craft beer, but anyway, um, <clears throat> there was an upsurge of that. In the, no, I I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. And I just love this when you're in a place of of barrenness and a place of desperateness and if you decide to move to be better and to drive yourself and, and allow it to drive you to God and allow for God to begin to fill you with whatever he needs to fill you to become the kind of person who's full to be able to help others as well. Cause he'll use your barrenness in someone else's life. If, if you, if you're willing to, to allow him to do a work in you, he will use that for someone else. If you choose not to and go the other direction, you will not be useful to help anyone else through that situation. But she goes to God and she, she, she pours out her soul to the Lord. I love that. God just wants your honesty. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I teach Bible instruction class and I teach it to these sixth and seventh graders and I would tell them, cause they would give me, you know, the right answers all the time. You've heard this joke where, you know, the guy, Sunday school teacher's teaching about squirrels and he was talking about the squirrels and he goes, you know, it's got a tail, it's got this, what is it? And the kid goes in Sunday school, it must be Jesus because that's what all the answers are supposed to be. But um, I just said to these kids, I said, you know, I, I, more than anything, I'd love for you to give good answers on this. But more than anything, I'd love for you just to be honest with where you're at and what you're struggling with and what you're going through because that's what's most important to me is this relationship. That's what we value here as a church. That's why we talk about small groups. We don't want people in small groups just to get to know God's word. It's a great thing, but if it's just to get to know God's word, it usually goes up to our head. When it it becomes something that connects to your heart, it's because you're being authentic and real in those places, and that's where you grow. You bring your barrenness, your desperation, and you say to a group of people, and you meet with some guys, you meet some girls or couples or however it is, and, and you show up with what's going on in your life so that God can use them to speak to you. And I love how honest she, she pours out her heart. Listen, this is, this is a, a, something that God encourages you to do all the time in relationship to him, especially when you're going through difficulties. Listen to Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for he's your refuge, he's your hope. Don't be afraid to hope. He will remember you. He has not broke his promise to you. I don't know what the answer will be, but he will remember you. He will meet you in your deepest point of need. It may not happen like this. Because Jesus told us that it is those who seek are the ones who find. Those who continue to knock are the ones that find the door opened. Those who are asking, the one who has the place where our hope should be, is the one who's answered and then Lamentations I like Lamentations 2.19 which is a book of suffering talk about being in a bad place they were in a horrible place they had been routed and killed and they had been moved from their land and, and Jeremiah is just in pain as he writes this and at one point he says arise I want you to cry out in the night as the watches of the nights begin isn't it interesting cry out in the night isn't that when you most feel your pain You're laying there in bed and you just can't get your mind to stop. And he says, cry out through the watches of the night when it's 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Some of you are up at 5. So anyway, pour out your heart like water. Some pains cut so deep that all the reassurances in the world that we might offer does not relieve the soul's ache. You need a word from God. He is your hope. One of my concerns so often about an evangelical conservative church is we've given up on the fact that God actually speaks to his people in all kinds of different ways. I'm so grateful that early on in my own walk with the Lord, I began to journal because through journaling and reading God's Word, He would, I, I could go, I could, times when I was writing, I'd feel like He was writing through me and speaking to me. I'd even at times be writing, Kevin, stop, da 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 da, whatever it is. God comes to you and speaks through his word. He can sometimes, when you're out walking in nature, he can talk to you when you see things. He can talk to you right through a message like this. He can talk to you when you're in a small group with people who are around you who love you and and care for you. He can actually talk to you through his enemy because you know what? Our enemies sometimes point out a nugget of truth and they build a bunch of lies around it. But you know what? What a wonderful thing to do is say, God, even in the midst of an enemy, is to say, God, I'm going to hold it here. But what that nugget of truth is, I want you more than anything. I want to see that. God can speak to you through dreams. He can speak to you through songs. He can speak to you. God remembers you. So pour out your heart for him because sometimes you're in a place and you may be in this place right now. You may be next to someone who's in this place and they need a word from God. So pray for him. Sam continues in this book. Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said... May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and said, I'll have that ice cream. And ate something. And and her face was no longer downcast. God spoke through Eli to her. It wasn't just Eli speaking. God spoke prophetically through Eli. The word prophetic doesn't mean something in the future. It means the word of God present in this moment for your heart. We have the revealed word of God and it is really true that this revealed word of God is the ultimate test of all that is said. But God sometimes speaks prophetically through another person and it goes right to your heart. And you know it. It has that ring of truth. She ate. She no longer looked down. Because there are some aches that only God can relieve. And he spoke to her. And he says, early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord. And then went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah. And the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, Which sounds like in the Hebrew, hears of God. Saying, because I asked the Lord for him because God is my hope who's your hope you can grow up in the church you could have been in church all the time but right, what I find for me is so often I'm a pastor and there's times where I need people to say where's your hope where's your hope So first I just want to say what are some lessons we can learn and I'll just quickly do this. Let your barrenness drive you to God. He's the God of your hope. One of the most difficult experiences for any woman or couple to face is literal barrenness. One of the most difficult experiences for a single person to face to walk into a place like this is to be alone. One of the most difficult things for people to experience might be a fruitlessness in their marriage or in their work or things like that. There's always this tension that you need to carry between seeking God to answer our request and seeking God in our request, no matter what the answer is. you see the difference? You're seeking God because you want this answer, or you're seeking God because... You want him more than anything, no matter what the request. And I think that was the process as she was driven to God, as she desired a baby. I think over time she desired God's will. And she said, God, whatever your will is, but you know what? In my heart of hearts, I have this promise. I believe she probably had this promise in her heart. She said, God, you have told me I'm a child. I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to hope like crazy. I had a, a, a young man just about a year or so ago come up to me, and, and, and his father was in the process of passing away, and, and it's way too young for his dad to have died, and, and it was just a, one of these situations, and he, he was asking me, how do I pray in this, how do I, what do I do with my hope, I, I, what do I do with this situation where it looks terminal, and it looks like he's going to pass away, and I just told him what I tell so many people, and I tell people all the time, you are like children before the father, so what I always do with anything when it comes to those situations, I first just say, God, how do you want me to pray? And I listen. And if I don't have an idea of what that is, I will pray like crazy for God to heal. I will do everything I can. I will invite other people to say, God, heal. I will ask for the elders or for people to come around and anoint that person with oil for healing. I'll continue to pray for healing. But I also know if it doesn't come at a certain point, if God takes it away or he removes that, that prayer or or even if I keep praying and it doesn't happen, I still have to stay in this place where I go, God, I want you more than my answer. And so I just encourage people like that. I say, you know what? Go after it with all you have, but at the same time, just remember your father in heaven is all wise. And just continue to humbly present yourself to him. I could give you a number of scriptures, and I'll give you one quickly. 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 through 23. This is what David did, just to give you an example of how he came before the Lord. He said David had sinned with Bathsheba, and the Lord came to him and said, um, because of your sin, you're going to have these consequences. And so David went to him, and one of the things he was really afraid of was dying, and so in that process... Nathan came to him and said, guess what, David? Um, Your sin's taken away and you won't die. But there is a consequence. This child is going to die. And so David went before the Lord and he prayed. And and it says that um, after he had said this on the seventh day, um, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. And the leaders of the house, those leaders around him, stood around him and they were concerned. And And he refused to eat. He refused to do anything. He was so on his face before God and then on the seventh day the child died and David's attendants were afraid to tell them the child was dead for they thought while the child was still living he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him how can we now tell him the child is dead he may do something desperate and David says notice that his leaders his attendants were speaking and whispering among themselves and he realized then at that moment that the child must be dead and he said is the child dead and they said yes he is and then David got up from the ground and after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his, his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Isn't that something? He prayed like crazy. He did everything. He said, God, you got to answer this. you got to answer this. And he knew God could answer it. The God who closes a woman can also open it, but sometimes he doesn't. And he prayed and he prayed. And when it happened, it says he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. means he just, put his, he just said, God, you're, 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 you're wiser than me. You're wiser than me. And his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? They couldn't understand it. Why? The child was alive. You fasted and wept, but now the child's dead. You get up and you you eat? And David's answer is a great answer. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? And I tell this to parents who have lost children. This is a great word. I will go to him but he will not return to me. This is in the Old Testament. This is David before. there's a real developed sense of of what eternal life and all things are like. He says, guess what? I'm going to go to that child someday. He's not coming to me. Jesus prayed that way. Jesus said three times, Father, if you could just, in the garden, if you just take this away from me. And he had to bow his heart before his father and say, you know the best course. Paul, three times, prayed for a thorn to be taken. There's nothing. Go after it with all your heart. And yet, worship God, whatever the answer. And the last is allow your barrenness to birth a work of God. There was a process from barrenness to birthing God's work. This was part of what God was doing in Hannah. It may be part of what he's doing in you, even in this barrenness. Hannah desired a baby. The desire for a baby created a thirst for God. That thirst was for God's will more than anything. Her thirst became a deep longing for God's work in her life, and that longing birthed the work of God in her life and into this world. Hannah wanted a baby. God wanted a man who would lead his people, Samuel. Her path of suffering was also her preparation for raising a godly leader for God's people. Hannah had no idea. The hope in her heart for a baby needed to grow over time, to become the hope and faith that would birth a work of God. Samuel became God's leader for the next generation. And her barrenness led to deep prayer, to a faith-filled relationship with God. She became better and deeper and grounded so that Samuel's heart would be formed by that experience. God is birthing a work through you. God may be birthing a work through someone near you. And he needs you to pray and to stand with them. And I love this, and I'll close with this. 1 Samuel 24 through 28. This is why I refer so often when I... I love baby dedication. We do baby dedications. I love how, how um, these words... I love to use Hannah as an example. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And Elkanah and Hannah, both of them, brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, Lord... As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He'll be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Do not despise your days of barrenness. They are not merely days to get through. There are days that can form you in a faith in God that can be used of God to birth fruitful works of God. I can tell you how many times, if she, if she hadn't gone through this, how many times do you think she said to Samuel, you're special to God? God? You're special. Some of you have experienced situations in your life where you go, I shouldn't be here today. You're special to God. You're here breathing right now because he has a plan for you. I'm going to ask the team to come forward and we're going to close in a time of worship. And I just want you to, we're not going to do anything um, drastic and do any kind of big movement. I just want you to listen to the song. And I, I want you also to see this mentimeter because you, the bigger letters in this are the ones that people wrote down the most of. Finances, marriage, lonely, family, depression, pain. This isn't out there. This isn't here. I just want you to listen to this song and let God work in your heart.